Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. Joining me on today's episode of The Backbone is Ryan McGee, Chief Financial Officer at Cordy. Cordy offers software as a service for enterprises whose employees face heightened risk at work, helping them manage their compliance to environmental, health, and safety policies and regulations. Since joining Cordy in 2012, Ryan has supported the accounting and finance department, ensuring that Cordy is on solid financial ground while building a platform for growth and expansion. In 2014, Ryan began supporting the human resources and legal departments as well. Ryan also leads Cordy's corporate development and post-merger integration initiatives. He was pivotal in the acquisitions of RegAction and IQS in early 2017, which we dive deeper into this episode. So let's get right into it and hear from Ryan himself, Chief Financial Officer at Cordy. Hey, Ryan, thanks for coming on The Backbone uh, today and uh, spending some time with us uh, talking about your experiences. So I'd love to get started right away and uh, talk to me about your experiences at Cority, which you've now been at for about five years. Prior to that, you were at Redney and Bell. So walk me through your journey to Cority and how you got started in the software space. Uh, hey, so it's, uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's cool to be here. Um, yeah, so I, I started at Bell. I actually didn't even start in finance. I technically started in the call center, but uh, that's probably a, a different story. Um, my first real finance gig at Bell, I was doing the, I was managing the allowance for doubtful accounts for the carrier services group. So a very, a very small slice of the business, as you can imagine. Um, during my time there, I, I got, to, I was very fortunate that one of the controllers I worked with. I had sort of approached her and said, you know, as I'm finishing my accounting designation and, you know, you know, what maybe I could join your group or you know, how, how do you see me growing at Bell? And she sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, I'll be honest with you. If you want to really grow in your career, the first thing you should do is leave Bell. It's, it's too big and, and you'll, you won't you just won't have a chance to learn. She said, go somewhere small, you know, get do soup to not accounting. So I took that advice and I think it was at least for me at work. And that's that's what got me to Fuse Point, which was in between Bell and uh and Redney, and there I, you know, I got to do, you know, sort of full cycle accounting, get exposed to the, the planning side. They were probably 200 employees when I got there and, you know, grew up to maybe 300 or something by the time I had left. 
but it was an important it was an important time for me. The CFO there was a, he was sort of a became a bit of a, a royal an archetype of what I sort of thought a, a good CFO was. He was a really good business partner, and he was you know more more operational than just you know reporting. Um, so it sort of was something I kept in the back of my mind after is that sort of where I wanted to ultimately end up. Uh, so then I, you know, with a pit stop at St. Jude in between, I went to Redney. That was probably my first exposure to, to software. When I was, when I had first joined, they were, they do um, billing systems, a rating, a rating and charging engine for, for tier two telecom. They were predominantly perpetual license when I came and they were actually going through the transition into SaaS. So I got to work very closely with sales and product uh, management at the time to, you know, working on pricing and the offering and all that. So it was, it was sort of my first real exposure to software and also sort of the nuance to SaaS. So that's probably where I caught the actual software bug itself. Um, and then, you know, after some time there, the, the, the quality opportunity presented itself and, you know, it was a, it was, it was a great opportunity to kind of, you know, manage a full team and, and really actually just, you know, especially meeting the president at the time or at the time that meeting the president, uh, Mark, he was just one of those people I decided mm-hmm. that I wanted to work with. And it was, uh, it was obviously the right decision, I guess. Nice. Well, yeah, it seems that way. You've been there now for five years. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems that when you started, um, the company was called Medgate. And uh, just recently, or uh, it was changed, the name was changed to Cority. So maybe tell me a bit more about Cority, formerly Medgate, and thoughts and insights you have about uh, what led to the name change. Yeah, so it's true. So we were we were known as Medgate when I joined. So the, the space that we operate in, sort of it's environmental health and safety, uh, now sort of quality as well. And it's, you know, so what it is, is, you know, we're, we're a software as a service to, you know, sort of asset intensive industries. So you've got, you know, mining, oil and gas, manufacturing, or other industries, even like healthcare, where employees just face heightened risk at work. Um, you know, so what the, you know, what our software does is it allows these companies to manage their compliance around, you know, around environmental health and safety regulations. And as someone once explained it to me, it's, you know, we help get employees home safe from work and, you know, protect the environment. As far as the name change itself, I mean, so Medgate originally was uh, an, we were, we focused primarily on the occupational health side, obviously Medgate. Um, And over the years, the, the kind of the industry has sort of went from being a bunch of disparate, more disparate point solutions. So the, you know, there was sort of an environmental program and inside that you might have five, you know, five or 10 different softwares managing your different environmental regulations. And then same with Oc Health, same with safety. There was, there was sort of all these little solutions. And then what started to happen is we realized that, you know, a lot of these incidents and a lot of this data is, is really connected. So, you know, we had a platform. And so as we started to build out the platform, we really just don't grew the name. We were, you know, we, it was sort of our way of, you know, sort of letting people really emphasize the fact that we're not just this off health company anymore. We, you know, we are, we're an environmental health and safety and quality platform. Right, right. So it's really, I guess, the evolution of the product and making sure that it encompassed uh, more of what you guys were doing, um, which it seems like Medgate was kind of limiting you in, in that endeavor. Yeah, it's, hard. It's, it's sometimes hard to get taken seriously by the environmental manager when your name's Medgate, but... Uh, <laughs> 
Got it. And so if I could backtrack maybe a bit to um, your your track here, now that we've clarified Medgate and, and Cority. Um, so, you know, you went from Bell through to uh, Redney, St. Jude, all, all kind of progressive roles throughout finance. What would you say is the, the biggest learnings that you took away from each, which are now uh, impacting the way that you are uh, operating the finance function at, at Cority? You know, from, from the different places, I mean, probably, I wouldn't say, I mean, probably a bell. I mean, you know, short of getting some good career advice, I, I, I do. There's probably a lot I've taken with me professionally. But, uh, you know, certainly at Redney, like I said, I mean, I learned, I got to appreciate probably the, on the software side, a lot of the, you know, understanding some of the nuances around, you know, why is it every software project individually seems to be, you know, profitable, yet somehow it doesn't roll out to the bottom line the way we expected. Um, and it's sort of understanding, you know, unpacking and understanding how business, like how to properly, you know, maybe sort of measure and line up the different areas of the business and, and to, to, you know, to understand really where your, you know, where your, your leak is or where your, where your scope creep is and things like that. So, um, I took that from there. I mean, you know, again, I probably just, you know, I cut my teeth on a lot of just how a CFO should act, grow their team, um, you know, develop their team from Fuse point. I, I took a lot of, I took a lot, I, I, that's something I still refer back to from time to time. It's just, you know, how, how would Dave have done that sort of thing? Cause I thought he was very good at, you know, as far as how he built the team, how he got, not just built the team, but maybe developed the people as opposed to, you know, how, how he asked for things to, you know, how do you how do you ask your your your, your people to do things in a way that they can uh, you know think about it and make it their own and and you know grow and develop as as opposed to just sort of dictating what you want so that's something I've always been very mindful of. Hmm, that, that's interesting, which which leads me to to another question I had was that as you progress, you know, up to where you are now being the CFO at Cordy, you go from a lot of, you know, preparing and, and doing a lot of the analyses and things like that to having members of your team um, do all of that. And so it, it goes from a lot from being a doer to a coacher uh, or a coach rather, as, as some have described on, on previous episodes here. Um, how has that transition been for you? Uh, obviously now, you know, you, you've been uh, leading finance at Cordy for some time now, but throughout all that, you know, you move from being there doing all the, the analyses and then now you're probably reviewing the analyses and coaching your team members through how to do that. Yeah, no, it's, and you're right. It's probably, I think it's, it's, it's going from being a doer to being a, you know, an enabler or a supporter is, is the, probably one of the hardest things for, or at least I mean, it was, it was one of the things that I struggled with or, you know, and had to be very mindful of. And, you know, I was, I was fortunate that I had, I worked with good, with good CFOs in the past that I sort of, you know, could take cues from, but uh, you're right. I think, you know, and I think you've got to, one of the things that I've had to learn is at least for me is you hate to see people struggle and you hate to see people maybe do things a couple times. So there's this real, you want to sort of just helicopter in and say like, I, I could do this quick or just do this or just do it like that and, and be, you know, kind of get prescriptive and yeah, it'll solve an immediate problem, but you have to learn to sort of, you have to learn to give people problem statements and let them maybe even let them get it wrong a few times. And it's, it was something that I had to, I had to learn to just to let people do sort of just to say, instead of saying, go prepare this for me, ask them, can you, I need, this is what I'm trying to understand, or this is the problem I want you to go look at and then let them, you know, let them come to you maybe three or four times and not get it right. And you feel like, 
or am I wasting their time or wouldn't it be more, you know, efficient, but what you're, but by doing that, that's where you can kind of pull your, I think you can help your team grow and, and understand and have context just around what you're trying to do. Right. Maybe they'll think of something I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a very, very interesting way to put it. And, you know, it's a good segue into our, our next question, which is when you started at, at Medgate, uh, going to call it Cordy from here on in, um, it, it was uh, around 80 people, if I understand right. And then in your tenure, that has grown to about 4x. So I think now when we last spoke, you guys were over 300 people. Sure. And so... Obviously, that is quite a transformation in a, in and of itself. So talk to me about how your role has changed uh, as the company has scaled. And in particular, you know, as your progression, uh, you started off as uh, the director and then going to the VP of finance and now the CFO, uh, maybe just elaborating on how each of those roles as you progressed as the company scaled and how all of that ties into how the finance function as a whole can scale through that process. Yeah. So, I mean, what, I mean, I would say probably when I, you know, when I joined the company, it was an accounting department. We produced, you know, we were just your, you know, we were, it was a smaller company and it was, you know, probably on a more of a controller type role that I was stepping into in the very early stages. It wasn't even on the, 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 the director of finance didn't report it to the CEO, but wasn't actually part of the executive team. And, you know, when I came, we were you know producing basic, you know, just basic financial statements and, you know, once I think we kind of got through some of the block and tackle and, you know, maybe automated things and just got, got the close cycle working a little better and the team, as the team matured, I think you, the role naturally starts to move into a more finance forward looking, you know, more business support. I was, I was fortunate that the board we had at the time was, was really good and they had, you know, they were, these were guys that were from much bigger software companies and they sort of understood what finance could do for the company. So they were you know, I got a lot of exposure to them early as far as, you know, kind of maybe helping develop, you know, to develop our reporting, to develop our metrics. And then that gave me the ability to go back and work with the senior team as far as, you know, putting some of those processes in place and you know, implementing some proper benchmarks and, and helping scale the company, you know, as we did. And we did, you know, all those years of growth we did with, uh, you know, we were profitable. We weren't, you know, we weren't, we did it all off our own balance sheet. We were able to grow, but also grow profitably, which was something that was, I think was, you know, was unique in our industry. For sure, for sure. And and uh, one of the things I wanted to touch on is as your team grows, you know, finance isn't a thing where you can just like it's not a revenue generating function per se. Like if you hire sales bodies, it's like well, each salesperson has a quota that they're um, you know targeted to targeting to meet, and so the more bodies you put in, um, it should drive your top line whereas finance is hard to look at that way so as you as the company scales how do you get buy-in to add more people to the finance team you know i think as long as you're delivering value which i mean i would hope to think my our team is you know and and you're not i mean there's there's some pretty basic best practice i mean don't be more than you know if you if you're under 12 or 15 percent of revenue you're probably in you know you're in line so there's you know it's as long as you can probably point to a, a few best practices um you know, people are, they want the outputs and if people are, are actually, you know, getting value from your department, then when you come and say, well, for me to continue to deliver this, or if you want, you know, if I'm going to be able to do these things, this is the, you know, the people I need. And, you know, I'll be honest, from the time I started, my team hasn't actually grown that much. I mean, I, you know, there was some rebuilding, but it's, uh, I think, especially nowadays, I find it's more, you know, it's, it's as much technology as it is people. So we're, I'm, we're, you know, we're very big on, 
you know, getting proper tools in place, eliminating manual processes, not throwing bodies at, uh, at a bad process. And so we've, we've stayed quite lean. So I did very, I would get very little pushback on bodies because we're, uh, we're a pretty lean group. Nice. It sounds like you run a lean, mean finance machine at Cordy. <laughs> Um, switching gears now to uh, backing up maybe a couple of years. In 2016, you guys raised a large round, uh, financing round from uh, Norwest Venture Partners, Georgian Partners, and BMO, kind of collectively the investors. Um, talk to me about that raise process and what it was like to go through that um, and any words of advice or best practices you can share with other finance leaders that are tuning in. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh I, we, again, we were, you know, we were, we weren't really out. Uh, we weren't looking to do a raise or anything. It was sort of just a, you know, a, a happy set of circumstances. Like it just sort of just, it just sort of came. It wasn't something we were out uh, actively pursuing, but um, you know what I would say, I mean, for looking at what went right with us, I mean, I think one of the reasons the process, I mean, one of the things that worked well in the process is that we were a little bit mature in our reporting. So we were already, you know, we were already doing a lot of the things that, private equity would look for when they would come in and do and evaluate a company. And, you know, so I think for, for someone who is going through this pro, if someone's thinking they're going to go through this process, you know, thinking ahead of being, thinking ahead about what people are going to look at, how people are going to, you know, how people are going to look at your business. I mean, a, you know, having your reporting be up to date or, or, you know, reporting on those, on those benchmarks is good anyways, but it's certainly, you know, the, the, the more you can get ahead of that, you don't want to be creating these reports for the first time when someone's coming in and doing, you know, diligence on you. Um, that would be, you know, I know I've, I've talked to enough people that have went through that the other way that I think uh, just being mindful of that ahead of time is good. Um, it, but, you know, I would say that's, you know, that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, be a, don't be afraid to be partners with them even during that stage. I mean, one of the things I found was, don't just, if someone asks you for information, don't just necessarily give it, stop and ask. So what are you actually trying to, what are you trying to get to here? And, and only because it sometimes can help you save them time, uh, maybe, give, you know, tailor the information to what they're actually trying to get or, or actually tell them actually that's not going to answer the question the way you want. Really what you should probably think about is, you know, why don't you let me send you this, this, and this. And, you know, I know that was, that helped a lot in the process is just actually, you know, having a conversation and, and just asking you know, what are you trying to what are you trying to actually get to here because maybe i can help i can help instead of just sending you spreadsheets or, or walls of data right right and i think that's a common kind of trap we all fall into is uh, especially when going through a fundraising process is well they want access to this we'll just give it to them but not taking a step back to realize hey what is it that the other side is trying to do with it they may have requested it because they requested it on their other you know, investments, but your particular opportunity may be very different. And so having that open conversation about what it is that they're trying to uh, accomplish out of the data set that they're requesting, uh, that's that's very important and, and glad you uh, brought that up. So if I think about your time then from, you know, getting the investment um, after the round, uh, Cordy has made two acquisitions. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to go out and raise a round. And, and you mentioned that you guys were in a, a fortunate situation in that it kind of happened um, naturally, as opposed to going out and seeking the funding. Um, but the acquisition part, that one's unique too. not many, you know, growth, uh, growing technology companies can say, hey, we've also made acquisitions. So um, 
Walk me through how the acquisitions unfolded. Um, did those also happen naturally? Did you guys go seeking them out? Um, what kinds of uh, thought processes uh, did did uh, your team, I guess, uh, think through as uh, when evaluating these acquisition opportunities? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of going back to the evolution of the company and even the, the rebrand, obviously the acquisitions were, were pivotal in that. Um you know, there's this type of industry isn't the knowledge is very is very specific and very deep. So, you know, Auk Health is a very nuanced kind of industry, industrial hygiene, but also but safety, same environmental, even within environmental, you kind of air, water, waste, these other these these sort of subsets of expertise. So, you know, we had the platform and we knew we had a very strong platform. But when you when we started to look at some of these adjacent spaces, like we built the safety piece ourselves and, and brought that expertise in house. But the, when we when you're out looking at these acquisitions, it's really about you know it's probably not a buy versus build, but it's a roadmap acceleration. It's just a way of bringing in and and, and not just bringing you know, but we're also bringing in expertise. You know that the, that they really need to understand these spaces and make sure that we can you know it just I think it just brings it just moves everything forward. Got it. Got it. So um, uh, now going into the weeds, maybe a little bit on the acquisitions themselves. Um, you know, it's one thing, like you said, uh, when you're uh, when you're on the other side, you know, trying to get materials through to uh, the investors and, and trying to make sure that they've got uh, what they need to evaluate the investment. How did you then take those learnings? And now that you're on the other side, you know, talking to the potential company that you're acquiring, were there any lessons that you took away from that, like knowing what to ask for and, and kind of knowing where to probe um, to make sure you got the, the information you needed to assess the acquisition opportunity? I think it's, you know, it's probably the communication piece. It's the same. It's, the, 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 it's just doing the opposite instead of saying, what do you need this information for? It was really just sort of, I, again, found it helpful to, you know, just to sit down and be as transparent as possible and just, you know, explain to them. So this is this is what I'm going to try to do. This is how I'm trying to do it. I would even share some of the some of the templates that we would work on. And, you know, less about, I mean, forget, you know, value or anything, but just even like this is how I'm understanding your business. So if I'm looking at the numbers, this is what I'm seeing. This is what it looks. This is how I think, you know, we break down to like people and stuff like or, organizing them kind of, you know, because a lot of, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with smaller companies, they might not be doing, you know, sophisticated reports or, or community, you know, doing this kind of reporting around lines of business or margins or things like that. So it's, you know, as you recreate that, just having the dialogue, this is why I put this here. Does that make sense? You know, forget the numbers, but just explaining how I'm under, just explaining how I'm understanding their business. And, you know, I think that's, uh, I think it's always helpful. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, moving along to metrics. So metrics are always an important part of, of any uh, company, let alone a growing company like yours. And, you know, it's uh, especially important for an enterprise SaaS company like Cordy. And so, um, you know, oftentimes a lot of SaaS is just diving deep into the data and it, gaining insight from from the metrics that you're tracking or not tracking rather um and so what are some metrics that uh, you uh, have taken in at cordy and ones that maybe over time as the business has evolved um started tracking versus ones that maybe you've outgrown what what's the thought process behind 
kind of thinking through metrics, you know, which ones there's so many that, that you can look at. And there's obviously the common ones, but when thinking about, uh, metrics, what are the, the, some of the key things to consider, um, as you're thinking about establishing metrics, what to monitor, what to track and what to really set as expectations of, Hey, this month it was good or this month it was not so good. Yeah, I think, you know, we're a, we're a very metrics driven company. Um, and to me, the, 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 any number that I'm going to track and report on, if it doesn't, if it's not actionable and I can't tie it back to a behavior, or we can't tie it back to a behavior in any of the departments, then I don't think it's, it might be a good health score and it might be a good high level number, but the ones, at least at an operational, at, a, at an executive team level, uh, that I think are the most valuable are ones that, you can, you know, start it and you can start at a high level. I mean, it might be something simple, you know, professional services, you, know, you might measure them on gross margin um, and revenue maybe, but it's, you know, what are the three numbers or what are the three things beneath that that we can track so that we understand if, if these three things are done, that should automatically lead to that number. So it's, because I think it's about giving, it's about giving the business the levers that they can pull and help give some, it's in context, right? Because the biggest problem is you'll talk to someone and they'll say, you know, we're working hard or, you know, we think we're doing a good job, but we don't really know. And it's about, you know, so to me, it's about finding, you know, a collection of, you know, usually it's two to four, you know, good measures per group that lets them understand, you know, if, if I'm doing these, you know, I am expecting this outcome, but beyond that, if I can track these four things, I can maybe see why I'm, I'm straying off the pace. So, you know, if it's, you know, if it's professional services and you're, you know, you're looking for maybe a specific margin, you sort of know underneath that, if I've got, you know, my utilize, my billable utilization is good and my average price per, you know, per hour. So we can see, you know, are we giving away time? Or are we just not utilized? Are we spending time on things that are non-billable? Just, you know, so give them a few key things. And then I find that really, really helps the team sort of then go focus back on what you want them to do, which is just, you know, whether if it's services, it's, you know, implementing the product properly and then, you know, having happy customers, but it's giving them some context to understand, okay, and these is, if, if I can, if I can just get these three things right, I know I'll get the right, the right output. And, and I think of all metrics that way. I mean, it's when we do our budgets, everything is, is built off you know, is, is built off the, off of those. So it's, you know, kind of by department. And, and if I think without that, I know you're sort of always, you're kind of flying blind. It's sort of giving people, it's, it's, and you can do it to shape behavior. I think that's where the real value is. Right, right. So it's, it's about, you know, peeling back the onion a little bit on, okay, this is the, I guess, core metric that we want to monitor and track, but to get to that one, what are the kind of, you know, one layer below, what are the three or four core things that impact that? And how do we uh, optimize those three or four uh, just beneath that, that main metric? Is that, is that a fair way to, to think about it? Right. And it's, and it, and it lets you, you know, it's, it's, you know, one of the things I've, I, I think is, is key. If you've got, when things are working properly and you're, you know, you're measuring, you've got the right metrics in place up front to do your planning and your reporting things like, you know, because in software, the number one, the number one issue is headcount. It's your, it's our biggest OPEX line. And it's uh, it's not as direct as, you know, it's not like buying widgets because you sold, like, I sold pen off to buy the raw material kind of thing. So understanding how many people to hire is often contentious and often can be confusing. And I find if you get a good structure in place and you do have the right measures in place, it becomes very binary. You can sort of just say, okay, well, if here's our order target, that's going to mean this much for services. It would mean this much for, and you can sort of predict the, all the activities that have to that tie back to that one main number. And if sort of, if you get it in place, 
you know, it makes hiring very simple. It's just sort of it almost just, it just spits out of a spreadsheet. And a lot of times, you know, these these metrics are cross-functional in nature, right? So um, some metrics you, you'll have to get buy-in from the marketing team, for instance. Some metrics you'll have to get buy-in from the sales team. Um, and, and so how would you describe um, the finance function's role um, in kind of establishing metrics, getting buy-in from the various um, departments within the organization to make sure everyone's kind of on the same page, driving towards the the same metrics. Well, I think that's. I mean, I think the key there is that I think the the unique role that finance can play when it comes to this, when it comes to planning, is that we can. So we sort of sit outside of the specific functions, and we have the opportunity to sort of actually to see how they all flow together, and to sort of to make sure you know everyone's running in the same direction or working off the same set of assumptions, and and. You know, and, and also providing context. I mean, that to me, that was is, is some of the biggest because one of the things that you know a lot of people are just looking for is just a isn't isn't a measure or an understanding to demonstrate success. Um, so that's I mean, to me, that's where we're here to sort of to support all the groups and to provide you know the the, the measures and the levers to to translate what they're doing into into a way that's digestible, like numbers, but also to help them understand the how their activities can affect that number because you you run into that you run that risk where people think it's sort of well i go do this all day and then i see the financials at the end of the month and i'm not really sure how those two things tie together and it's helping people Mm -hmm. understand not even with not only within their group but then how that does flow across right right and that's a great segue to our last question before we get to the quick fire round and so that is in your opinion what is the importance of the finance function at a, a growth stage technology company I think, you know, again, it's the, you know, where we provide, you know, contact our context and support. I think really where, you know, where finance can help is to make sure that as you scale, you can, I mean, if you want to scale profit, profitably and you want to make sure that departments are, you know, things really are sort of, you know, even strategically that all the strategic plans really are lining up. I think finance plays a very, a key role in that. I mean, I think, you know, I think as a finance as finance matures, it becomes almost an operations role. It's very tied into how things are actually, how things are being done as much as just measuring them. It's, uh, I mean, to me, that's, it's sort of, I mean, that's to me, I guess the key. Nice. Makes sense. Uh, cool. Well, we'll hop into a quick fire round now. And so the way this works is I'll ask you or I'll um, ask you a short question and you'll have a kind of 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? That works for me. All right, let's do it. So, number one, your go-to online resource for all things startup finance or operational finance related. So, I'm, I'm assuming beyond Google, which would be my probably my first. My first yes. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't probably have from a a website perspective. I don't have any specific site I go to. I mean, I would take each thing, sort of look up as it comes. Um, you know, probably when I think about, even when I think about startup issues, I probably spend more time thinking about business issues than I would specifically finance. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, whether it's, you know, the Masters of Scale podcast or something like that, I, I mean, I, I devour those. But uh, yeah, I mean, Google's probably my, my go-to for just sorting out day-to-day stuff. Nice, nice. And then go, go deep yeah. as, as needed from your Google results. Um, your favorite productivity hack? Um I am obviously a Tim Ferriss fan and that I, I, you know, one of my things is certainly to set two or three things a day that I'm going to get done and just make sure, you know, beyond all the noise and I mean, yes, you have to adapt to what, what happens, but just coming in and, and, and addressing the three things you said you were going to do, I think is key. 
another big one for me too is, is being really diligent about meetings. I think that's probably the number one time waster that can just kill people is you, you know, if someone, I, I've set a, a hard rule for myself. If anyone on my team is at a meeting and I'm not absolutely required to take action at that meeting, I just don't go. Because it just, I'm like, they're there. If they need something, they'll tell me after. And it's, uh, you know, I'd like to think I save hours a week that way by not uh, just sitting in on meetings I don't need to be at. That's a good policy. I like it. Um, last one. One thing you don't leave the office before finishing. Um, probably the last thing I was working on. I try not to leave. You know, I try to kind of time things to be uh, to be done before I go, so it doesn't sit in my mind for the rest of the night. And then, but other than that, probably the other the other big thing is I do sort of take. I'll take a few minutes. You know, back to that. What are the three things I, I want to get done? I, I probably map that out in my mind quickly just okay so this is you know take quick inventory of this is you know this is where i'm at or this is what i've got done so what is it you know what is the three you know what what do i got to get done tomorrow so just kick that ball down the road and and i find that's a it's a, if i can sort of do that it lets me truncate the nights the time i get home i'm not you know not thinking about it or worrying about it anymore awesome well Thanks a lot, Ryan. I really appreciate your insights and, you know, your um, perspectives on uh, growth and scaling the finance function as, as companies grow, talking about your experiences, fundraising, and then going through acquisitions, thinking through what uh, really to, to get out of all of that, and your, your chat about uh, metrics and what to really think about when coming up with metrics, when um, thinking through how to achieve them. So, uh, it was really a lot of fun um, to, to speak with you about all of this. And uh, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. It was great. I appreciate it.